not bad for like a three or four year old gimmick beer, huh? No, that's pretty good. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation Cousin Eddie's RV. I mean, it's a little, a little oxidized, maybe, but it didn't, it didn't gush, so it must have either been pasteurized or they just have a really clean bottling operation. Yeah. Are we? Are we? Uh, is this the show? Yeah. Yeah, we're live. Um, do you find the um, what's the guy's name that uh, does the the brewing podcast? You find him. No, hello. Yes, you didn't. Anyway, well, let me, I just wanted to give a shout out. So, he contacted us a while back and just Aaron Hog. Aaron. Aaron H A A G Hog. Is that how you pronounce Probably, it? Probably yeah. Hog. Um, <clears throat> but no, he's he just um, I guess he's been into brewing for a while, and recently it sounded like it. Recently, kind of got into the Salesforce business or got some kind of developer Salesforce job or something. Mm-hmm. Found our show and. Um, anyway, just he just sent a note, but anyway, I wanted to I wanted to um, mention his podcast because I've actually started listening to it. It's called Plato's Gravity, which is a of a nerdy brewing name. Look it up if you're interested. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's uh it's good. It's funny. It's him and another guy, and I guess they both have you know homebrewing experience. But they they actually interview. They go uh, sometimes they'll um, go and interview people like in the in the beer industry or brew, other brewers, like commercial brewers and stuff. Um, but it's, it's funny. They're they're good. So if you're interested in, you know, the whole brewing scene and and home brewing, then uh, check out Plato's Gravity. Podcast. If you don't get enough of brewing talk from from us, <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't do it that much. Despite what Jody M says. Oh come on, it's every episode. I mean, but the the amount of time we spend is not that much. Uh, John, you got to be prepared next week to drink some beer though, because <clears> I <throat> kegged last night. I kegged my. I got to check my counter. Hold on. I kegged my key lime pie goza. Oh, that's right. Time. I'm looking and forward to that. Man, one. it tasted good going into the keg. Ooh, it's gonna be a good one. Yeah, next week I'm safe. That's now. the one. Did I did I tell you? Was that the one that I was having trouble getting it to finish fermenting? Anyway, it did. Yeah, it got all the way down to like ten oh six, which is like one and a half play doh. If you're into that kind of thing, I told you to bring a key lime pie to go with it. You're not gonna need it, man. And the other thing great about this beer, it, it finished out oh, really low, it. so there's n- hardly any sugar, and it also it's it's just it's a low gravity to begin with, and so it's low calorie. It's a low calorie key lime pie beer. I mean, what? Come on, all the more reason to have more pie. <clears throat> I guess it leaves it leaves you room. You have points left, right? Points <laughs> left. <laughs> well, I have zero points left. Negative points. <laughs> I usually have negative points left. Well, sad that I wish for a major illness so I'll lose some weight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could try like, I don't know, dysentery or uh, one of these things. No. I'm sure you'd lose right. some weight on that. That's all right. Um, well, let's see, John. I have some follow-up, both from last week's show and from some some Slack things from this past week. But I don't. Uh, I just don't have a lot going on. I've just been, man. I've had again. I'm just so busy. I've had my head buried, I, and I. I feel bad because I'll. I'll start some conversation in Slack or ask a question, and then I realize it's like not. It's like the next day before I can even look to see if anyone's responding. Yeah, and I just you know I try to get back to us, but I apologize <clears> if <throat> I'm if I'm not being a good communicator. Yeah. yeah, my schedule hasn't been fun either. I've been on nonstop phone calls. Ugh, that's bad. that's my life right now is phone calls. 
It's my entire life. Yeah. I sit on the phone. Some of them are just what we call, what are quote unquote standups. Yeah. Some of them are project check-ins. Some of them are, we need, we have an issue. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been, it's been not fun. I'll say. Yeah. Those are tough. That's it's not like it's hard work. It's just not interesting. It's not challenging. It's it does nothing for my job satisfaction. It's just it, mundane. And on a lot of that stuff, especially in the consulting space, I I so question. I always question: Are we doing this right? I I question that all the time. Um, and and you know if you're if you're one of these people that you're not on like the same team that you're building the same product for a period of time, um, then your the team doesn't never gets a chance to gel and really figure out what process and what tools work best for it. It's just kind of like, again, back to the cookie cutter thing. It's like, oh, well, here's what we do on the on the other, this other project. Let's do it the same thing on this. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess if it's close enough of a project, but I mean, usually, I mean, again, like what did you, what did part did you not understand about the agile revolution? And you've got to like, you've got to adapt processes and tools for the team. Yeah. And you know, it's not, a, it's not a one size fits all. It never is. And, you got to figure out what works, and if you don't, if you're if you don't have your ear to the ground, is that the right saying on the, on these things? Then if you're not paying attention and being sensitive to them and a, and and doing those adjustments, then you're just going to have a lot of inefficient time, and of course, it dramatically increases your chances of failure, just not hitting your goals. Yeah, it seems our team structure lately has hasn't really it, it it's been gelling, but it's been gelling over our team's ability to problem solve together versus our team's ability to execute together. We're, we're in certain instances we're executing just fine but what's really kind of being highlighted is a team's ability to problem solve when we have all these issues or we're in the nth hour and we, we're trying to get this thing released that's kind of what we're gelling over right now um or at least the products that i have that are relatively successful yeah <clears throat> and there's yeah i don't know and it and, and a lot of times you know especially if it's um depending on when when problems come up, but usually a lot of times you just have to like shift everything. Everyone has to shift everything. Every, everything they're doing towards this, you know, some kind of problem that popped up either last minute before a deployment or before your before a due date or something like that. <clears throat> and, I definitely feel like we're doing it wrong. I mean, at the beginning of the project, we're so focused on what was in the statement of work versus what wasn't, and then that last week of deployment when everything's coming together, you're getting UAT feedback or not week, but during during that whole process of trying to get it out the door and you have UAT feedback and coming everything it's just it just it just becomes a let's get it done let's get these features in let's just go and so it becomes this firehose so it's this really weird dynamic where at the beginning you're you're kind of trying to live by the live and die by this by the statement of work and what was estimated and the hours that you had and the budget you have and then that nth hour you're just go 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 get it fixed make everyone happy let's let's put the spit and polish on it type situations yeah and so you're kind of just jamming things through toward at the end. I mean, that this is this it feels is very, that way. It's not like I mean, you're not describing anything anything that's not pretty much generic to almost. Oh no, it's kind of a natural thing. I oh, mean, no. you have to you have to you have to work against just like lizard brain type things. Yeah, because it definitely can affect you know software development. Did you say lizard brain? Lizard brain. You know the lizard brain thing? No. God, who I don't know who popularized this. I feel like it was some book. But no, your lizard brain, it's like <clears throat> there's a part of your, and I don't know if this is actually scientific or just more metaphorical, but there's a part of your brain that's like, that's the ancient caveman, pre-caveman hmm. brain that just makes you do, makes you make just re really not evolved, you know, enlightened decisions. It, whether it's, you know, how you react to something or it's how you plan something. It's more just kind of an instinctive response. Yeah, yeah, you're right. 
and so there's your lizard brain and then your other some some other there's like a, your other brain or whatever i can't remember what the other one is that's the more enlightened you know evolved modern no that happens to me because i mean we'll, we'll be in the nth hour of something and some issue will come up and i'm like it's going to take me five minutes to fix it over this 30 minute call that we want to have let me just go do it let's not talk about it. let's just do it yeah however that's bit me in the butt because it had other ramifications <clears throat> either Either I broke something in the process of not doing it, or we were moving too fast. I didn't test it enough, and there was like some edge case scenario where you know it wasn't working properly. So it's, I get it, but it's also a double edged sword. Those kind of instinctive decisions, yeah. just wanting to just kind of get it done and and get get things moving. So that again, that whole that really common thing of you know you throughout a project, you know it seems like you're tracking along based on responses you're getting from everyone, and and it turns out that you know, in the last 10% of the project, you're just trying to jam all this stuff through. You know, you've started to get, let's say, you know, you've started to get uh, user testing feedback and, but in meanwhile, you're still trying to get final features and bugs fixed. And of course, towards the end of the project, that's also where you find out where things don't work together correctly like you thought they were going to. And it just becomes like this highly compressed thing. And then you really just, you know, the tendency is just to start. You just jamming stuff through. You you sacrifice. You, you sacrifice uh, how you design things, the time you get to spend designing things, how you build it, how you test it. If you if it gets tested, I mean, all these things they just all have to be short circuited and just jammed through. And I guess the question is like how? And this is a completely. This is not a planned topic, but this is the kind of thing I always always think of. And how do you avoid that? Um, what could you have done earlier on? To avoid that, I think that's where I think that's the intent of kind of the we used to call them post post mortems. Um, I don't know what what they're also look retrospectives, back or re- retrospectives, yeah. reflections, or whatever you want to call them. But I think that's the whole point of that conversation, which doesn't happen as much as I I think it should. Um, so, like if you're doing iterations or sprints, they're supposed to be after every one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean that's that's how like Scrum, for example, I think that's how the Scrum problem does the it. problem with Salesforce and I, again. The whole agile process is kind of a foreign concept in a lot of consulting <laughs> that I've worked with. Yep. Um, so they'll pick they'll pick things and they'll pick words like iteration and they'll pick things like sprints and they'll they'll pick things like user stories and grooming and all those kind of things. But it's this this hodgepodge of words they used to describe this one concept that we're going to do a little bit of and do a little bit of. But when it comes to producing and releasing software, it's not like we do a sprint and then we release it. It's we do a sprint and okay we move to the next sprint and all that stuff is sitting there getting stale in an org yes. somewhere so, and it's not in so they completely miss the point of the of the sprint right so it's not like we can do a post mortem and say okay here's what worked here's what didn't here's the feedback we're getting on this let's let's address that in this next sprint yep. there's no opportunity to do that because yeah. it's all just still sitting here bits on a computer that's not released to users right that God why do you see that so often and I I feel like consulting is the worst the consulting space um, th- they use the words. So yeah. A lot of the words, like sprint or iteration or whatever. Or no software. Uh, yeah, no software. <laughs> but I don't think they know what, you know, a lot of times it's like these people don't know what these words mean. I mean, they... I don't know what they mean, and I'm expected to know, and I'm expected to be... What do you mean you don't just, know what they mean? Well, I'm just... We've been talking about these things for years. Yeah, but I don't have... When you learn Agile from companies who haven't done Agile, or you have like well, one or two who went to, to Scrum training or Safe training or whichever flavor of Agile you have... Um, you pick up these words and you understand the words. I understand the concept. I understand what's supposed to happen, but the way we're using them is just this hodgepodge. So my 
experience, my real world experience of it is mm. this hodgepodge mess. Yeah. It's not it's not this structured. That's why I really experience. like um the succeeding with agile book from Mike Cohn. Because it's it's like that's a, a short book, isn't it? It's like a no, it's not a lot in common short. I'm not sure Mike Cohn can write short books. I have I, that I feel book. Like it's I not, think I'm reading it right now because I really wanted to reiterate my uh, relearn my agile stuff. But. I mean, it's not one of these like giant bibles, but it's um, but it's not. I wouldn't call it short by any stretch. Okay, there must be another book. I think I think there was another book. I th- think I was reading just recently, and it took me like a couple hours to read. But that's the book that it basically it's the premise is like okay you you know the words you've heard yeah. the words you're using the words uh, you you've tried the things you know you're you've got you've, you've got sprints and you've got a backlog and you've got a burn down chart. Oh, it was, now, uh, Larry. Now, now, now what about the agile manifesto that I read in a couple hours? And and then the, the point is though, but now now what about the uh, what about the thousand ways that this can all go wrong? Even though you're using all the tools, and like your company supposedly has bought in, you know. It can still go wrong in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and here's what to look for and how to avoid them. And and it's and I don't know. It's just like you'll you'll read the you'll read these things and you're like, oh my god, yes, that's exactly what's happening. You know, it's and it's like it's great to hear someone else like completely dissect this kind of problem that you were seeing. You just didn't really know you were. You didn't you didn't really just clearly identified it. But when someone points it out to you, oh well. Look how that product manager is doing this, and you're like, "Oh, exactly. That's a, we're having that exact problem. Well, how do you solve right. that, or how do you avoid that?" And you know, someone just with tons of experience like him and gets good at analyzing and documenting these things. It's it's just good to do that. There's another really good one too. I can't. Um, I feel like Alistair Coburn writes pretty good books on this stuff. He's got one. It might just be called Agile Software Development. I'm not sure. And it's I think it's on its second or third revision. Hmm. It's um. I don't know. I don't think it reads as well. It's it's more of a, um, a really like a a, disc, a deep description on all the different flavors of agile, and, and it's got some good stuff though on the principles and the rationale and even like the theory behind a lot of this stuff. And he really goes deep into that. It's it's more it's pretty it's pretty academic in some ways, but it's good. I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, if you really want like a, you know. How to do how to how to learn agile in like 365 days? <laughs> read, read that book and then read it like twice again, and you'll 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 be pretty good. Put it on your list to read like two or three times a year. <laughs> yeah, you know I'm missing that book for some reason. I have uh, user stories applied and uh, agile estimate and planning. Are the two I have of his. Who did the applied? Was that like Martin? No, those um, are those are both Mike Cohn. They're both Mike Cohn. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. If, I'm not sure if I have that one or not. Anyway, well, let's get to let's see follow up. Um, so we, I was going to use that to segue, but let's do the follow-up. Okay. We can do the segue. Whatever. I'm flexible. Um, we talked about the change data capture, and I was like, wait, has that been released? Because I saw it in the release notes as if, and it didn't say, this is now out of beta. Uh, so I must have missed that. So it must have been released two, or it must have been made GA more than one release ago. I'm not I'm not sure. But it's there. And um, I even, like, I went to set up. I'm like, oh, crap. Sure enough, it's here. I'm like, how did I miss this? Because, um, that is change data capture will uh, dramatically improve the quality of certain of a lot of integrations with Salesforce. It just enables a whole other level of um, like like an integration protocol that's more real time. It's more reliable. More event driven. It's, yeah, it's event driven. It's more reliable, way more reliable, um, and more just more efficient. You know, instead of 
you know, polling or any of these other methods, you know, or outbound soap messages. <laughs> you got this blank stare as soon as you said it. <laughs> it was like your mind I was, went to a specific. I was, I was trying to hold hold down my stomach contents. <laughs> Um, so I'm really excited to check that out. And it looks like I asked around, no one said anything, but I mean, I, I don't think there's any extra charge for it. I mean, I'm, I know there's limits and it may, it may be just the platform event limits. Yeah. But I looked at the platform event limits again and they still are actually, I've, I've actually looked at rolling my own change data capture using platform events. I'm sure a lot of people have done this type of thing for integrations. Um, but it looks like it's, you can still only define like 50, um, what are they called? Uh, Basically, fifty of it's not event types. I can't remember what they're called, but fifty of these things. I'm like, I mean, just and and I guess if you have a small integration, that's fine. But I mean, I've got integrations where I would need more than fifty of those, and so it's it's just seems that that limit scares me too much. I'm like, yeah, even if I even if I only need like twenty, like I mean, what if they want to expand this integration? Like, I've I've built it on this technology that's got this pretty near term limiting factor to it, right? Like it's not that far off. I can see the limit. Like it's very close, you know. And I, I don't like to be able to see. I like to be so far away from limits that I can't even see them. I can't even. I can't even imagine hitting them. That's where I like my limits to be. <laughs> um, Which is interesting with with some of the, with some of the changes to limits over the years. It it has gotten to that, that point. I mean, I'm not as afraid of, as afraid of polling as I used to be. I mean, if you look at the limits and how many user accounts you have, I mean, you could you could run at least one or two good polling algorithms within the minute and not run into issues. Oh, I've got integrations that are like big ones that are like, say we're integrating like 50 different things and it's doing at least 50 queries every every minute, I guess, yeah. something like that. And, you know, you do the math, that adds up, but yeah. but luckily this org they have, and I guess enough, I'm mean, not check their API limits in there. They probably don't ever go over like 10%. So it's, you know, again, Back to that whole, like, I like my limits to be very far away. Yeah. <laughs> I like a lot of headroom. Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> you know, once I get that call at three o'clock in the morning going, my stuff stopped. Yeah. Working. I mean, and that's, that. I would just feel bad if I built some solution and it, like, right when I was done building it, like, we were at 70% of limits. I just, that's, you know, you're not leaving much room for growth or just unexpected, you know, um, activity. Yeah. Yeah. Data volumes always get me. <laughs> It, it really does. I mean, it, God, things I think so. I never, and like the last one I had was with Opportunity Products. I just, it's been a while since I had a customer that, that dealt with hundreds of products on an opportunity. On an as, opportunity, like hundreds of the lines? Norm, as the okay. norm. Yeah, but. You know, it no. wasn't consolidated into a, a bill of materials or anything. It was just straight out, there's going to be this many products on it. A, there's no bomb. <laughs> there's no bomb. Industry terms. And do people, do these, do people manually add that many lines to the opportunity? Okay. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't ask. I just came across the issue, and it was normal. So I don't know if they manually add it, or if they have some automation that does it. But and did that did, I, did that affect something you were building? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I had to. I had to basically do some reporting based on that information. But it was some value add reporting that needed code and logic and a bunch of uh, aggregate queries, and it ended up blowing up on which mm -hmm. production. I had Sandbox, but Sandbox didn't have the volume right. that production had, and so all my testing was fine. And then I had to really pivot pretty hardcore to get it to work because I really had to fundamentally rethink how I was consolidating or aggregating this data. I used a lot of buzzwords in that. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually adding, adding to my title list right now. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about changing. You know, we have a live thread for that, by the way. Well, 
Why? Are, well, people should add to it then. Where's the thread? That's not a thread. Oh, it is a thread. It's not a thread. Yeah. It's not a thread. How about that for a title? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really, I'm excited to start playing with Change Data Capture. It's going to be great. Great, John. It's going to be great. He uses, a, what is it, Comet? You know, the Comet, you know, uh, it's not even it's not even long polling anymore, is it? No, it's it's actually you know a, a supported. Um, you know what? I'm not even sure how comments is comment implemented with just keeping a TCP connection open. I thought it had a socket open. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, yeah. I think oh, so. I think the D part has the uh, what's the history of it? So there's comment and there's comment D. Well, comment D is I'm guessing is the daemon or daemon, however you want to pronounce it. Yeah. So one of them added the the socket support. The other one had the fallback HTTP. I think. Polling support or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Maybe Comet's just almost like a like a protocol um, because um, WebSockets is the. I feel like Comet was was first and was like long polling, and then browser and then th browser started implementing WebSockets, which is and the, I think the D is is the fork of it that added the WebSocket support. This is the portion of the show, which is most of the show, where we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> I tried I, to learn what so I can I could know what I was talking about, but um, that I, that's what I recall from my research. Again, I haven't had a chance to really live and die by that technology, so I don't have the experience to say, you know, this is what it is. But yeah. that's what I recall. Yeah, I just uh, I, I just hack the code around until shit works, and then I'm like, oh, okay, good. I understand this technology <laughs> well enough. And then you add it to your LinkedIn as a, as an experience. Oh, ex yeah. like master level experience. Exactly. Level. Yeah. 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 <laughs> LinkedIn is getting crazy. So now the, uh, the tangent, but now we're getting to, there's there's a uh, phishing scams and everything on LinkedIn. I guess that's always really? been the case, but oh, you get like a LinkedIn email and it's or well, how what, how does this? Yeah, there's people. I guess there's some kind of scam where they're they're posing as someone who they're not or companies that they're not, trying to get you to add add you to their network so they can somehow see your friends and network and and just mm. basically traverse that tree. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm thinking about purging my LinkedIn and just starting over. I don't because for a while there, I was just like, sure, I'll accept you. I mean, yeah, kind I of defeats the purpose of LinkedIn. I mean, I guess well, if, I don't know how to use LinkedIn. I don't either. Don't ask me. I haven't updated mine in forever. If someone pointed out to me, it's got a, it's like a photo when I was 12 years old. That's how. That's the last time I've updated LinkedIn. I just know employers <laughs> like to look at their employees' LinkedIn and make sure they're not. They don't have the. Oh, look! I'm looking, looking for a job. Looking for a job check. <laughs> I don't know. Again, I don't know near enough about LinkedIn, but I'm sure they do. There's some way to like uh, you, you can indicate somehow that you're um, looking for a job or you can respond. Certainly you can respond to requests without you really, without it being public knowledge that your employer knowing. Oh, did I tell you I got a job offer on LinkedIn? Oh, I can't wait. Was this a, from a phishing person? Um, no, it was from a recruiter. They said I was, that uh, they really wanted to talk to me really bad because um, they thought it'd be a perfect fit because I'm an expert in Azure cloud. <laughs> I, I was like, did I put something about Azure on my profile? I, I scoured my profile and skills and text, and I was like, I said nothing yeah, about Azure yeah. in my profile. <laughs> I get I get these emails all the time from recruiters. It's like, hey, and they they're, they've gotten a lot of them have gotten better at making it sound pretty personal. Mm -hmm. And and this is the tough thing with recruiters because I, um, every once in a while, every once in a blue moon, I'll actually get a personal email from a recruiter. But I'm afraid I probably just <clears throat> discard them, or I'll have to. I'll just. I'll you know. I'm right there next to the delete button, and then or the E key if you use Gmail. I use. Uh, I do Gmail by keyboard. 
Because I'm a because I'm not an animal. I don't. None of this point and click business. But anyway, uh, you know, I'll be like, I'll, I'll be about to delete it, like, and I'll be like, wait a minute, is this is this an actual email that someone wrote to me? Because if someone took the time to write me an email, I'll if I if I don't miss it or if I um, have time, I mean, I'll respond to it. At mm-hmm. least say, yeah, I'm not interested in it or whatever. But I mean, usually you just you assume that they're just these are like this is spam. You know, but uh, you know, the most common thing is like it's like, hi, Jeremy. Um, you know, I was looking over your LinkedIn and I really thought about you when this, uh, you know, my client, uh, you know, came to me with this request. It's, I really think it's right up your alley. Um, if you could take a look, you know, and it'll, and it'll list like things that have nothing to do with me. <laughs> and I used to, I used to reply all the time. I was like, oh, really? What is it about my LinkedIn profile that made you think I was a good fit for this job? Basically, stuff like that all the time. But usually, you'd, and here's the weird thing they're recruiters, right? I mean, they're, they're dying for someone to respond to them. Usually you don't even get a response to that. So, but anyway, I stopped that a long time ago. I ain't, ain't got time for that. Uh, you know, the, there, there, there are some good recruiters out there, but it's the business in general is is, is full of so many uh, mediocre people that it just it makes them all it makes them all look bad. Unfortunately, we we you know you know I don't know I know some good recruiters. I've I've worked with a few that were really good. Yeah, that I they're just they're rare to work with. They're again. rare. Yeah. And we've, you know, we have, we've even had some, of course, we would get spammers and whatever, but we've even had some that like personally reached out to us to ask about somehow, you know, getting involved in, in the Good Day Sir community to do recruiting or whatever. And unfortunately, we have to, we, we've got to, we have rules on that. Um, it just gets out of hand. But, but, you know, those are the people, the people that take the time to, I don't know, like respectfully build their own network and th- do things like that. I mean, that's, that's the kind that I think, you know, you would hope would be successful. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Um, another thing about platform events is, and again, this is, I think both of these last things came from Jody, um, but you can, I guess I didn't know this, you can now select whether you want your platform event to be transactional or not. So it can either just fire, mm-hmm. you can fire the platform event regardless of whether the transaction commits or rolls back. Or you can say, and I don't, I guess it's, it's probably technically not transactional, because it's not like you could roll the platform event back and it would roll the transaction back, but you can basically say, don't fire the platform event until the transaction has committed. And so when you get the, when you get the event, you know <clears throat> that the transaction committed and you can go do whatever you need to do now. So that was, uh, I think, what? a highly useful, highly useful change. How would you not want that to be the case? Uh, that's a good question. You, th- you would think the, the common use case is, I really only want the event if, it's, if it commits, yeah. right? But maybe you just want to know if I, I could also see use cases where it's like I don't care if it actually commits or not. I just want to know that this thing was attempted. Maybe it's almost even like a who knows? I don't know, like a monitoring situation or something. Yeah, or maybe maybe um, the transaction rolled back because there was an unhandled exception. But you still want to know that like that transaction came through or some, some kind of request came through. Just because it didn't commit doesn't mean you don't want to know about it. That's it's a different use case, but I, it's yeah. definitely valid. I think. Yeah. Yeah, because because before this setting. Um, if you really only wanted to take action if something was successful, you'd have to get the platform event and then turn around and query to see if stuff was still there or to somehow try to detect whether it committed or not. Yeah. Which actually could be hard. I could see that being difficult in some cases. Okay. Um, so uh, on to the next thing. Uh, earlier this week, I, was, I posted in Slack about... I was... I w- oh, I know what I was doing. I was... 
uh, refactoring an integration. This is this is actually in our what do you call it? Do you, what, what do you call the org that your company uses for itself? Is that your internal org? Is that your corporate org? Is that your business org? Company org? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Company's org. Yeah. Business org. I, I, yeah, it's, I, I don't know what to say that so people know what I'm talking about. But anyway, our <clears throat> our internal org, I guess. Sure. Okay. Um, refactoring integration, and there's just a lot of um, classes and and Visual Force pages and um, custom fields and custom objects, all kinds of stuff that I wanted to delete triggers, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, a page references its controller and the tr- trigger references a controller and controllers because they forward to pages reference pages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually quite easy to do because of that that technology. It's actually easy to get um, circular references, which are yeah, I've which make a, things very. I difficult. have a love hate with the page dot syntax. Mm-hmm. I like using it because it creates a dependency, and I know that that dependency is known by the system. But I don't like it because it creates a dependency, and if I have to change it, it, it does become somewhat of a circular right? reference. Well, and that's, and I feel like you know, why did, I didn't have this problem. I don't have this problem in Java. And that, that's why I've always said that Salesforce. They've always said that you know, uh, Apex controllers and Visual Force pages are MVC. And you know, I don't know. I don't want to like get into some theoretical argument, but to me, it's not. It's not really the MVC. Maybe it's. And again, I've I've read so many ridiculous Reddit arguments about whether something's MVC or MVPP or MV whatever, all these different, you know, MV, M- MVVM, and I'm like, oh, whatever, guys. Just, I've never heard of MVPP. Just, I've heard of MVPP. <laughs> your jo- you know, just do your job and quit arguing on Reddit. Um, but yeah, I've always felt it's not really MVC, and it's just weird that it, the, the part that's weird about it, and maybe it's just because I'm biased because of the technologies I used before Salesforce came along, but in, with Salesforce, Visual Force pages, they know about their controllers. And in like, yes. I feel like in most of the Java world, like your templates, whether it's you know Velocity or JSP or whatever, they don't know about their controller. Like the controller does stuff, builds up a data model, and passes it into the template. The template does not know about its controller. But in the Salesforce world, with Visual Force, the control the the page knows about its controller. You have to specify in the page what its controller is. Mm-hmm. But but also controllers know about pages because controllers have to like forward you onto page and build page references. Right. So that's how it's so easy to get these circular references, which makes it almost impossible to delete things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I was having this problem where like I, I would I would go into Illuminated Cloud and I'd bring up the delete metadata dialog, which is really nice because you can just set it to custom and you can go in through and just cherry pick. Like you can say, okay, I need to delete these classes. And I know they reference these pages and I want I want to delete all these things. And like you can do it all in one atomic Delete mm-hmm. thing, which is the only, which is in many cases because of circular references, it's the only way you can delete them. You can't delete right. them one at a time. You'd have to like, and as long as you don't hit that deployment bug that I don't still don't think they fixed, um, this this is the only this is the way to delete these things. And so what was happening is you know so I would I would build up I would cherry pick and build up this list of things to delete. I'd hit delete and it would be either complete fail or what I think is even worse partial success. And now I got to go look in the log. Hopefully the log shows me. Because sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. I still haven't figured that out. What succeeded and what didn't? Actually, I think I think when it does show you what it, what you do see, it lists you the success, the successful ones. When in reality, the most useful thing at that point to me is to know which ones weren't successful, because 
IntelliJ has deleted them off my hard drive now. And what I need to do now is go restore the ones that the delete wasn't successful so that they're available to delete again through, Intel, through IntelliJ. You see what I'm saying? Are you using the, de- the delete wizard? Yes. No, no, yeah, yeah. That delete metadata dialogue. So you can, yeah. you know, in the Illumate Cloud, you know, you've got like retrieve metadata, refresh metadata, right. deploy metadata, deploy all metadata. And then there's one that's delete metadata. And that's the, that's, it's and that, that wizard. on the partials as well? Yeah, it'll have, okay. So let's say you have a part, let's say you, you try to delete four classes mm-hmm. and two of them are successful and two of them aren't. The problem here is IntelliJ, not Illuminated Cloud, and at least I don't think, IntelliJ has deleted those four classes from your hard drive. See, They're I thought, gone. I thought that was the advantage of using that dialog because whenever I go to the, the project view <clears throat> and I'm just looking at the, the, stru- the folder structure, mm-hmm. if I delete it from there directly, it does do a file delete and then a delete command, remote, de- remote delete command. Yes, exactly. But the I thought that the Illuminated Cloud dialog did a package, basically a package deploy delete on those those raw objects, and it wasn't until that came back successful that it would delete from the hard drive. No, it's the other way around. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so, and the problem is, you know, I wasn't just dealing with four classes. I was actually dealing with probably 20 different metadata items. Actually, it's more than that because, like, more than 20 succeeded. So there were there were probably a dozen or so that didn't succeed. And Illuminated Cloud lists the ones that succeeded. It doesn't list the ones that failed, at least the not that I could see. So I didn't even know which ones to go and restore. I'm like, crap, now i got to figure out which ones didn't. I don't remember. I got to go figure out which ones didn't succeed to delete. So I can, if I, because if I want to use the same method again, I, I, need, I need to get them back in my project, those, those files that didn't succeed deleting. Right. They, got, they successfully deleted from my hard drive, but didn't delete from Salesforce. Um, anyway, let's see. Um, what was I going to say about that? So, first of all, you got some interesting feedback. So, of course, Scott Wells um, chimed in and some useful stuff. But, but first, let me say, uh, and this was, um, I, I want to give credit here. This was Matt. Um, what's Matt's last name? Is it Bingham? You know, you know who I'm talking about? No, I don't. Anyway, um, I think that's his last name. Sorry, I got that wrong. But um, <laughs> let's say that you, you do this delete and it's like unsuccessful and you're like, crap, and now I want those back on my hard drive. Command Z. Just brings them all back. <laughs> now it's going to bring them all back. So if they, if you had some partial, if you had a partial success, now you've got files in your project that actually did get deleted from Salesforce. But at least you can, you'll find out when you try, attempt to delete those again. That, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, if it totally fails, just Command Z and they're back. They're back on your hard drive. That's just an IntelliJ feature. But also, Scott is adding um, the option to if. If it was a partial success, just to basically undo the whole thing. To like, you can basically have it. I think I think that's what that's what it'll be. Is it'll be an atomic. Either either all succeed or not. You know, or or completely uh, do nothing. Yeah, it's, Does too, make sense? it's too bad that, that and that's what I would want. Honestly, that's it's what too I bad want. that the operation isn't fast enough that you could do a validate deploy and then actually do a deploy right after that. Thank you for bringing that up because that's another thing that. Uh, I think he said he was planning on adding uh, adding as um, the validated or like a, the check. I don't know if it's called validate or check only. Mm-hmm. Different APIs or tools call it a different thing. It's a it's a flag that you set on your package when you deploy. At least yeah. for Ant packages. I'm not right. sure about yeah, DX. Yeah. Was, I think it was, in Ant it was called check only, but I, yeah. I don't know what the API calls it. <clears throat> but uh, and I know that's probably been on Scott's feature list for a while, but I, it sounds like that's maybe getting closer. He's also, and I don't want to get too much into, uh, what does Salesforce call it? Um, safe Harbor? Yeah. <laughs> they don't do Safe Harbor anymore. 
It's a forward-looking statement or something like that. So, something they changed it. It's yeah. not. It's not Safe Harbor anymore. Oh God! What are we gonna do, John? I don't know because Safe Harbor was so much fun. Now it's just like this weird tech, weird like legalese term. Yeah. Well, I mean, Safe Harbor was. Literally, no, I know literally the I, term I, I got think it's, I think it's something like forward-looking statement or yeah. something like that. I don't remember what I it's called. I always consider those to be the same something thing. Something really lame. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Forward-looking statement. I don't know. It doesn't roll off the tongue like Safe Harbor does. I know. Um, I think in the financial, like when they talk about their financials, it's, uh, they always talk about forward-looking statements. Yeah. So anyway, um, so I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not promising anything or whatever, but I'll, I'll just be, I'll stay, stay high level here. But, he, you know, he's, Scott was mentioning adding some kind of sync thing where like, Stuff's maybe changed on your hard drive. Stuff maybe changed in your org you don't even know about. How do I like merge it? Yeah, how do I get a merge view almost a sync yeah. view? And I can choose like okay, e, okay, that goes this class in Salesforce, and I don't have it on my hard drive, so I want to bring that one down. But I've got you know I've also got a class on my hard drive that's not in Salesforce, so I want to you can choose like do I want to push that over or not? Like almost like a you know yeah side by side view. So that would that would I could see that being cool. Um, and just on the topic of illuminated cloud. I wanted to just mention that I've been really enjoying the the inspections on this version two are much better. Like just earlier, for example, I was coding something and um, made a method call, and it needed the result. Need, I needed a cast, and I hadn't hadn't written a little cast yet. And Illuminated Cloud, of course, has an inspection that says, "Hey, uh, this is not the right data type. Do you want to cast it? Sure, cast." And it just writes the cast for you, which is great because casts are just ugly and kind of hard to write in parentheses and whatever. You got to write the Usually, it's involving many double underscores, and mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's nice that it, it detects those, and then you know, super like one key to to just complete it for you. Um, but also, I've been using like the some of the refactoring, mainly the rename, but the you know, it actually it works. I, I it, I've only done like renaming in one in like in one file, but it's still really nice. I mean, if you've got a you know, if you've got an identifier that's referenced in mm-hmm. you know different parts of code, re, you know, whatever. It, I feel like you're finally catching up. I've been talking about this for a while. Well, it took me, it took me, I want to say like a year after version two was out to upgrade. Oh, that's why. But I was, it's probably mainly because I think I was, I was involved in one like big project and I didn't want to upgrade in the middle of it. And then for the longest time, I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing Salesforce development. I'm doing all kinds of other development. It's kind of my life right now. I've been on this phone calls for for so long. I'm barely doing any development, which is kind of. Well, I was doing development. I just wasn't doing it. wasn't I just wasn't doing Salesforce development. And and now I'm. And then I don't know whenever it was a few months ago. I'm like I start kind of doing a bunch of Salesforce development again. I'm like oh I, would, I need to upgrade now. I mean it's a perfect time. So I have an issue right now that I don't know if it's if it's uh, IntelliJ or Illuminate Cloud or a combination of both. But my uh, that action command that I told you about, which is basically the the command window that shows you all the hotkeys, but it also gives you a search search function so you can find it. It's like a was it Control Shift A? I think I don't know. I know it by fingers. Oh yeah, but not Control by, uh, yeah or Command Shift A. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's funny. It's like street names. Like I, I can tell. Like I know where to turn, but I can't tell you what street that was because I've been doing it for so long. Like I'm the I just worst. know the shape of my yeah. fingers. I can tell you the shape of my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like just, I can't even say what kind of shape you're making right now. What that reminds me of a little raptor. Fi- I don't know what that is, but yeah, I can tell you the shape of my fingers, but I can't tell you which keys it was. Right. Yeah, command shift day. So basically, it's, it it's what does that technically call it? It's like it's basically a search for any action. It's an yeah. action search. Yeah. yeah. So what are we saying about it? Uh, on first run, it works fine. On second run, a terminal window pops up, and I get this weird error. Second run of what? When I try to run that command again. Just when you try to do Command-Shift-A? Yeah. It pops out into this error window, and it, 
loads up my terminal because uh, the term, there's some terminal. I'm assuming some. You're, you're fat fingering it. Is what no. you're doing. Um, no, I've never ever seen that. <laughs> it's I, I can reproduce it very easily. I can do it after after the show. Uh, well, you know, John, I think you know what it's doing. It's telling you, hey, you hit Command Shift A to search for the action once, but you're supposed to look at what the what the keyboard shortcut for that is. No, and use because, the keyboard shortcut because there's an annoying bug. You. There's it's an <laughs> annoying bug, and I don't know if this is IntelliJ or IC, but there's an annoying bug because if if my cursor is not in the project window under classes, when I do like Command N, it won't create a new class. So I have to do the action command and tell it Apex class. And if I want to create a trigger, I have to make sure I'm in the trigger folder. Because I don't want to use you know the mouse what? to navigate. No, I, I have the same problem, and I don't. It, it, like, now, sometimes what I'll do is, if you hit uh, what is it, Command One to go to the project view. Yeah. If that puts me back in the right place, then I'll then I can do Command N right. to create a new item of whatever I want. But sometimes it's like I, it takes me to the wrong place in the project, and I. But yeah, if you're in um, yeah, it's that weird. I like if you're if you're on the if you're in the editor, if your mm-hmm. keyboard or the carrot, whatever it's called, the cursor is in the editor, and the editor is what's got the focus. That Command N does not do what you want. Right. There's probably a, yeah. Is there another way to? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, Illuminated Cloud. It just keeps getting better. It's a good product. You should try it. I don't get paid to say that. Um, okay. <laughs> Any more? Can we? Of course, I have not. I still have not ever used the, the VS. What's it? VS Code. What's that? Can we do the got. Yeah. Let's see if this explodes. Now, this is, this is cork and cage. Well, it is, might explode. Do it over there, not over your computer. This is fancy. Yeah, I, uh, I'd be a Viking for that. You'd be a Viking <laughs> for that, okay. Isn't that All what right. it is? Is it Vikings or medieval times or what is it? Game of Thrones? Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a fictional planet universe. Oh. So it's... It's an excuse for porn? <laughs> yeah, it depends <laughs> on the episode. Uh, that's about all I know about it. All right, John. Well, I know you had a couple things you wanted to talk about. You would, would you like me to yield some time? Should I yield to the honorable gentleman from? <clears throat> I don't want to say your little town name in case you get weirded out by that. Kind of. I want all your fans to show up at your house. You know. Yeah, that'd be weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about uh, products that that kind of go bad. I, I I really thought that Accenture article was pretty interesting. I think that was shared in our Slack channel. I didn't read that actually. Um, yeah. It was, well, they, oh, they got they got sued, right? Big, yeah, they got sued by. By Hertz, apparently oh, yeah. for for a website they were building, and uh, unfortunately, it's only one side of the story. Like, there's no input from the Hertz side or from the Accenture side of it. It's yeah, all right. from the Hertz perspective. Of course, of, it was buggy. It was insecure. Yeah. It was crappy. They what was the number? Like thirty two million, I think, is what they say they they want back for this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and the question is like, were they the client from hell? Yeah, and that was my thought too. I was yeah. like, okay, there there needs to be two sides of the story. Not that I'm a defendant of, of Accenture, but I've been on products that have gone bad. I've 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 been in those conversations where clients were unhappy, and a lot of times I'm like, dude, we did this, we yeah. we said this, we yeah. did this. Yep. And, and and the other thing is, it's like 32 million. How do you get 32 million in the hole without asking questions or or wanting to see code or wanting to see progress or anything? It's yeah. just like, what did you just like walk away? And just like the, just put the ATM open completely right, and right. said, okay, let me know when you're done. Well, that's when I guess you wonder what their process was. I mean, was Accenture were they um, were they were they delivering actual software on a somewhat regular basis? Was the client involved in this and and using it and testing it? Because if they did, if they were if the client was and they just were kept going along with it for two or three years or however long it was, then yeah. it kind of weakens the argument to say, oh, okay, well. 
yeah, we watched everything you did as you did it. But now three years later, we decide we don't want it and we want our money back. That That's not cool. I mean, in some parts of the article, and again, it, there's very, very minimal amount of information in this article in terms of what happened. And again, it looks to be one-sided, but it seemed like there was some some issues along the way. They tried to address it. I think they had different teams come in and they had different people working on the project and they had different pivots on the project, but none of it resulted in anything that was that they were happy with. Um, a lot of different things, just like responsiveness to the website, security of the website, uh, buggy code, all those things that they're they're trying to cite as as issues. That's why you know, like if you have a client that's like, um, yeah, we want you to build this really big project, and like, I mean, for me, like, I mean, I work for a a small company. Now I tend to build, you know, I, I do a lot of just you know loan loan developer work, right? So for me, a big project would be. <clears throat> And if, if I'm like just main, I mean, even like a hundred thousand dollar project, or certainly like a million dollar project, would be a pretty big project for, um, like for my company. At least if it was, if we're talking about something that was like you know less than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't, I would never do it. I would never build something like that in a way that we weren't, you know, regularly putting this thing into production. In some way, and and if I had a client that was like, and I and I deal actually I deal with that. It's not like I don't deal with. It. I do deal with this. I that's why I always say I feel like one of the biggest parts of my job is just education, um, educating clients mm-hmm. that uh, why they don't want it, why that's a bad idea, and why we need to figure out how to you know break this thing up and deliver incrementally so that we all can learn from what we've built. Right. If we don't do that, then we're we're making de- we're making all these upfront decisions at a time in the project when everyone involved knows the least about it, and what the least about what's going to actually work, what's actually going to be usable, what's actually going to connect to partner systems, and you know you you learn so much and you have to course correct so much. Mm-hmm. And if you don't plan that in, then yeah, you get to the end and like you're not happy with anything. Well, duh, you're not. You know, there's no there's very little chance of you being happy if you. That's the kind of process you have. And and when it comes down to it, if a client is insistent, and actually we had this recently, fairly insistent. And I mean, I'm just, I will, I'll walk away. And I know this is very rare for, in the consulting business, because people don't like to walk away from a single dollar ever. Mm-hmm. But I will walk away. On, I'll refer them to someone else if I have to. Because I'm, I'm just, I can't be a party to that. I'm not going to do that to myself, or I'm not going to take their money in a way that I don't feel like I can I have a good chance of being successful. Because you get sued. That's what's going to happen, just like <laughs> these guys did. You know, you're going to get sued. They're going to want their money back. They're not going to be happy. And if you can't upfront decide that, you, if you can't come to terms in a way that, like, you realize, like, hey, we're going to be good partners here. Like, we kind of, we both kind of get it. We might not be exactly in the same place, but we have enough of a shared vision and we've got enough of an agreement here that we can work together. If you can't do that, then you need to walk away because you are going to get your ass sued. Yeah. I I, I hope some of this information in terms of, of both sides of the story kind of comes, is available publicly, especially since there's a lawsuit happening, which will likely provide kinda make, some public. Does that make it public? Kind of public? I, I think guess? so. Because yeah. I think they said they wanted like a judge jury or something like that or or jury judge, or I don't remember, something like that. But hopefully that makes it somewhat, because I'm really kind of interested in how this happened, how it progressed. I mean, you have a giant corporation like like Hertz, and you have a giant consulting agency like Accenture. Yeah. You know, what went wrong? I mean, you're supposed to have resources on both sides to manage this, uh-huh. and somehow it got so wrong yeah. that they're, they're $32 million in the hole and you have nothing. Yeah. I don't know. It, this, I'm sure there's, on a project that big, you've got just 
infinite number of deets. Oh, you just spilled beer on yourself. Damn, damn it. There. He's... Oh, that's going to help. Well, might a little bit. I mean, Kleenexes. There's paper towels over there, but you can't reach them. No, not with my T-Rex arms. <laughs> John's T-Rex arms. <laughs> Can I make that a John's T-Rex arms? Yeah, there you go. That's a title. Yeah, I mean, you know. But I, I think, uh, you know, we like to think that that big enterprise has different problems or more complex problems than than small, medium size, or even just the mom and pops, but they don't. They're all trying to do the same thing. They're all trying to track relatively at, similar at information. Level, it's just yeah, some right. have more resources right. to, to solve that problem than others. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always thought that. I've always said, because I've worked a lot with more with small business than I have with enterprise. And their, their problems are just as complex. In fact, they're more complex because mm. they, they tend to want to rely at that point. So when they go from like mom and pop to medium-sized business, <laughs> they're they have this scaling problem. They have these things that they're trying to fix. You know, they're trying to get off the Excel spreadsheets and into a system that manages these things properly. And they tend to over-rely on automation because they can't throw people at the problem. So they, so that that is where the complexity lies in a lot of the things they try to do. Whereas yeah. enterprise is a little more, they can throw some people at the problem. They can say, okay, we have a department. They can manage that. They can do that one part manually. That's why I kind of push back on your idea that they have the same problem. I, mean, I feel like in, in some ways, yes, they do. I mean, at a, at a very fundamental layer, people are you know kind of solving the same problems. But I mean, just scale alone. I mean, the size alone can 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 kind of shift. At least, what are the bigger? Which problems are bigger? Which problems are smaller? Sure. I mean, I, I feel like on some of these, these projects get so big that, for example, simply communication becomes such an incredibly different, a difficult problem. Um, making sure people actually have shared understanding of problems and approaches and all that kind of stuff it's it's so much easier on a small project you know when you're communicating with three people instead of you know a committee like 300 people committees yeah i mean because it's not until people flip the switch on after it's been deployed that everyone realizes well that's not that's not going to work that's not what i asked for that's not usable that sucks yeah. You you thought that you were saying the same thing. You guys thought you know you talked about it. You drove on the whiteboard, you know, or or whatever. You got the document. And you signed the document. Mm-hmm. We signed the document. You signed it, you know. But you really didn't understand. You really didn't understand. Yeah. And they, that's why there's there's really only one true way to understand, and that's by actually sink, putting it in people's hands and letting them see it and use it, and do it in small pieces. Yeah. And and it's um. Here's the thing. At the beginning of the project, on paper, it looks less efficient to do it that way. Because you're, what you're saying is, we know we don't know everything, and we're going to have to redo some things. But if we give you a small piece of it, we can start redoing it earlier. And we can take those learnings and build them into every subsequent stage. And what they're comparing that to is a waterfall. But they but what they're, they're comparing it to a perfectly... A waterfall where things are magically perfect. That hypothetical where... What you design is what you build, is what you test, is what you deploy, and that's not the case. Right? It's not the case. Yep. It, it's 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 as if waterfall worked the way that it looks like it does on paper, and right. it doesn't. And it turns out that the agile thing, which says we're going to fail a lot, but we're going to fail in really small increments, and we're going to learn from it, even though that sounds less efficient, it ends up being more efficient and and cheaper. And obviously, risk you know the whole risk mitigating aspect, the fact that you know they could have, and again, I have. I'm not even talking about this Accenture thing because I don't know the details of it. But in, in general, like, I mean, I, I, I love the idea of like, hey, let's 
let's split this thing up. We're going to deliver incrementally. We're going to learn from all these mistakes. And the great part about it is if like a couple of iterations in, if you like, if you, if you are quickly seeing that we're not the right partner or this isn't going to work, you look how look how much loss you've cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you probably didn't lose your job from this. Yeah, and that's, that's the other side of the story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who made some bad decisions and is trying to protect themselves and, you know, those kind of things. But, um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be an interesting story. I, I hope we get to see more about it because I'm really interested in, in understanding what went wrong, what was the process. I, I doubt we'll get details on the on the project structure, like how many how many people were actually building versus how many people were just herding cattle. You know, the the on on some of these larger consulting agencies, you have you know senior people and VP people and all of them building time against this project, and they they show up for a few handful of phone calls yep. and. You know, they're billing you 250 an hour for it. It's like, geez. Yep. It, I mean, it does, you know, you, $30 million seems like a lot of money, but it, especially of, of companies of, of scale like that, it, it actually, it adds up fast. That's, I mean, there are. 50,000 is a lot. I yeah. mean, you, if I, <laughs> I look at some of these projects where I'm like, Jesus, we spent $20,000 on meetings. I mean, there are, there are other, there are failures that actually approach closer to the billion dollar order of magnitude, you know, that I've, Stories that I've heard in oh, the you past, mean like Boeing. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a good example, actually. Yeah. I mean, I did. Who knows what the details are? But wasn't it software related or something? I know part of it was like they so said they tried they tried to keep them. Apparently, there's like a, a classification system on airplanes, and if as a pilot, a regulated, approved pilot uh, by mm-hmm. the FFA, FAA, sorry, FFA is like was that Future Farmers of America? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you get you get uh, you're, you're certified to fly a 737 class aircraft, which mm-hmm. includes you know the 737-200, the 737-300, and you know various uh, derivations, right, of of a certain class that encompasses all these different mm-hmm. little differences. Um, apparently, Boeing pushed really hard to get the Max to have the same classification, even though. It, the aircraft was different enough. They actually had to, pro, and I think it was like supposedly it was AI. They had put AVI into the, AI into the avionics mm-hmm. so that it flew like a seven thirty seven. So that people who were trained on seven and, and certified to fly seven thirty sevens, it felt like a seven a, a regular seven thirty seven. Of course, we're, we're we're software engineers, so we th- we we think yeah. okay, I can. There's a hundred different ways this is going to go wrong. Yeah. It's not funny, actually, because it's it's not. But I mean, you got to think there's some engineer that's just like just going against the grain on this one, right? He just every day went or, to work going, I can't believe I'm. And, and think of the people on that. And again, I'm making stuff up. I'm just I'm p- kind of picking on this Accenture thing. But imagine, and, and on both sides, imagine the people, the Accenture employees and the Hertz employees that were both like every day, just like, oh my god, I see this. I'm, I feel like I'm on a death march. I am on yeah. a death march. I see the train coming, and we're all just standing on the track, and like like it's not coming. Yeah, but you can't. So many people feel like they can't say anything. Again, it's it's part of the dis- well, dysfunction. Apparently, in in this, there was a turnover in resources because you know, resources. Oh, gosh, John. <laughs> Hold on, let's make that a title: turnover of resources. Someone, someone get on that. That, that might be a winner right there. <laughs> uh, because they they did mention it in this. One of the quotes was that the they did bring in a new team to help address some people of the issues. Are not resources. And that new team they felt wasn't experienced as the first, but apparently they weren't happy with the first either because 
yeah. first had to be replaced. Well, and when, when or they had to roll off for some reason. When things go bad enough that the client really gets soured, it's like they lose all trust, and everything you do is is highly scrutinized and questioned. Yeah. I, yeah, it's not a not a situation you want to be in because now now the client's not even acting in good faith. They they, they don't have faith, so they're not actually. They're not doing all the things they need to do to be successful because they don't have any faith that you're doing the things you're doing. Right. And it's, it's, it becomes this like defeating cycle. I mean, the, the, the way the story almost plays out, it almost seems like they delivered something, but then there was a lot of issues found after the fact. And, Remember healthcare.gov? Yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to bring that up, <laughs> okay. but yeah. It's, it's been on the top of my mind, but it, it almost sounds like they completed the project to a certain point, and then a new team came in to address kind of like the, the post- development phase of bug fixes and feedback and feature enablement and all that kind of stuff. That seems like what the replacement was, at least based on the little quotes that I have here, it almost seems like it progressed. It got to a certain point and the team dropped off and then a new team came in to support them. And maybe that the team, that team they weren't happy with because they claimed it wasn't experienced as the first one, which makes it seem like they understood the capabilities of the first team doing the implementation. But. Well, maybe next time they should hire a good day, sir, Inc to build their software. Is that a thing? <laughs> it could be. Could it be? <laughs> I mean, if someone... Can we? Hey, listen, if someone show me a big check, and then I will go register that corporation, and we, we will do business. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I got a call today. I sold a little deal. It was... Um, I'll tell you more. I, I can tell you more details off the air. But um, someone is buying uh, a, a lot of... Oh, how do you call it? I'm trying to assets of a company, mm-hmm. a lot of locations, I guess, and and this company runs um, some software that they built in house, mm-hmm. and the acquirer is the one who contacted me. They want a. It's almost like when you if before you buy a house, you'd want to get it inspected. That's what they want of the of the software. This homegrown software they used to run the, this business. Okay, so I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I'll do that. Anyway. Isn't that field service lightning? Is it? <laughs> I don't know how, but maybe. I'm sure there's a dispatching component and a, you know, all that kind of yeah, stuff. What, what are you going to dispatch me to? To the location to inspect. Oh, no, no. It's it's just the, it's their software. Like, they just need to give me their GitHub login, and I'll mm-hmm. get in and look at it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I had, okay, well, I don't know that I had much more. I do want to say that, so I'm doing more, you know, DX. I was telling you, so I was telling you back uh, off there about mm-hmm. some of the things that I've done DX wise. I, I think I've talked about it last week on the show. Yeah, you did. But I'm doing more. I'm, I'm just. I'm really one of the things I'm doing is I'm just improving this product's developer experience. Um, it, like I told you before, there was it was basically impossible to create a new developer environment. I mean, they were developers. They had a new developer. And they would everyone was just sharing the same same exact environment because no one knew how to create a new developer environment. Um, <clears throat> it, it wasn't just the metadata. There was just like so much data and settings and and all kinds of stuff and and oh, just all all kinds of ISV and namespace prefix shenanigans and. Um, but anyway, I've got it. I've got it now to where uh, you can just and you know, there's and I, I could actually wrap this up into I guess one big one script. But there's basically four scripts on one of them. Creates your scratch org, or four commands I should say. Mm-hmm. One and, um, one of them creates a scratch org. One of them deploys the metadata. One of them runs a like post deployment script that then 
sets up, creates a bunch of data, sets up a bunch of stuff, creates settings. And another one, what is it? Oh, loads, loads. I'm actually tr kind of transitioning things a little bit. Um, but the other one uses the SFDX, um, the, the data, some of the data features to push C like CSV data. It's actually checked into the project. It is setting more settings and stuff into the project. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so within like five minutes, you can you can have a, a new developer environment. It can, can totally automate all that stuff, um, which is great. But one thing that's already burned me is that these scratch words are, are temporary. Yeah. And you know that the the party line here is that, well, yeah, they're supposed to be. I mean, you, you should use this as just a temporary testing ground, not your development environment. It's nothing permanent. Like your source code should be your, your source of truth, which totally agree with that last part. But in this case, like if you're working with, and one of the beautiful things that DX allows you to do, if you are an ISV and you have managed packages, you can specify in your org shape file or whatever that thing's called, what prefix you want your, this scratch org you're creating to have so that all your developers can have this, an org with the same prefix. So you don't have to do weird find and replace or, or, or placeholder replacements of where your namespace goes. Mm -hmm. So it's beautiful, it fixes that. But that means I have to do my actual work, my development in a scratch org. And it sucks that every, I guess you can do it by 30. I, my, I was originally creating just the default, they expire in seven days, I've learned my lesson, I'm doing 30 now. But it's still, like, I feel like that's just going to lure me in more to forgetting that I'm in a scratch org. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, that's part of why that pain of scratch orgs uh, expiring is what has caused me to actually continue automating the setup. Because I kept realizing, after like, the first couple times the scratch org expired, I was like, I kept realizing, okay, I automated a lot of this, but I realized there's, oh, there's one, I keep finding more things that I, that I need to automate. So that when I do have to fire up a new scratch org to actually work in, there's I want to get to where there's like nothing I have to do. I want settings, custom settings data in there. I want I want um, all my sample data and like working data I need to build stuff. I want it all in there, mm -hmm. so that when I my scratch org when I log, come in Monday morning, it's like man, you can't log in. I can be like okay, no problem. Five minutes and I've got a new scratch org. I mean. You're still going to lose, though, even though you had it load your seed data and your sample data and everything. Like, mm -hmm. whatever data you were, whatever you had done manipulating that and like building out a new feature or whatever, like, that's going to be gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's going to be gone. So, and, I, and I, do, I definitely do like the idea of like, you should be frequently doing like this, the force code status or whatever it is and just seeing what you've changed and what needs to be pulled down. But man, it can still, it can still get you. And, and I don't know if there's a way once it's expired. Actually, I had an expired org this week that it, it was on the date. It showed up as, as expired, but it was on, it was the same. It was like the day that it was supposedly expired. I was still able to log into it and I was still able to do, I was like, oh, I'm, thank God, because I, I needed to pull some stuff down that I hadn't pulled down yet. And it let me pull it down. But that was yesterday, I think. And today I, I can't log in at all. It's like my, my um, refresh token has expired and it can't refresh. So what it. data are you having to pull down? It's mainly it's it's not data. It's um, usually it's not data. I say that um, sometimes it is data. For example, let's say I realize that um, a certain custom setting record that that's part of my it's part of my source code that I mm -hmm. that I use when I set up a new scratch org. Let's say I've discovered I want some changes in that. Like I want the settings to be a little bit different. Well, now I need to 
Now I need to do a query to pull that that's custom settings record back down and mm. replace my old one with it. So sometimes it's data, but usually metadata, like you created a field or you um, something you did through the UI in Salesforce. Sure. Okay. I mean, you don't create fields and things from from source code. You you do that through the UI. You know? So it's those kinds of things that you need to make sure you're pulling down. But you could. But yeah, it's like especially. I mean. Especially for this whole ISV in a, in a managed package, I can't do work in a non-Scratch org because of that namespace thing. Scratch org is the only thing that enables that, and it's great. Don't get me wrong; that's like that's a beautiful thing. I'm so glad they added that. But I, a Scratch org is not a temporary like destination only. It's like it's what I work in, and I and I do use Scratch orgs for testing. I'll like, you know, it's that's great to like every you know maybe every 24 hours or whatever have something that just. Fires up a scratch org, deploys all your stuff into it, and runs all tests every day. That's great. It's a destination only. It's like it's transient. It's read only. You don't make change once it's there. You don't make changes to it or whatever. But but mm-hmm. you know, if you're an ISV, you are, and you deal with namespaces. You are probably working in a scratch org. Let me check in the Slack and see if anyone's saying anything about this. Nope. Just you and I, John. It's because you're boring them. I know. I am. I mean, how can we, we, can we do our last topic? Yeah, let's do it. Because it's, let's see how we're doing here. We are oh, we're about an hour. There, there goes the short show. That's that's short. It's not it is hours. for us, I know. <laughs> I, I just had to talk about this uh, homeless uh, contribution, homeless research contribution that Benioff made. Okay. Yeah, 30 million to USCS, UCSF. University of California, San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah, so apparently he donated $30 million to start a new research institute at UC San Francisco called the Benioff Homelessness and Housing Initiative. Uh, so he's got his name on it, too. Of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you you put $30 million towards something, you, you'd hope your name would be. And, uh, well, that, and that's, that's going to, yeah, yeah, okay. I don't, I'm just, I just, <laughs> I, I don't know I'm that trying. the homeless problem is that, that hard to understand. There's people uh, without homes who have mental illness and drug addiction. Uh, I think those that, that don't have those issues pro- are likely easier helped with the current programs. I think the harder pro- people to solve for are those people. What data are you going to collect? What solutions are you going to provide that, that are going to solve that issue? I don't know. I mean, you know, and I feel like this is you know, one of the things that I feel like there's no sociologists and econ- ec- economists that that really agree on these things. <clears throat> and I've, they often get quite political, which is why I kind of don't want to get into this. But, mm. you know, it's interesting. Like, why do some cities have you know, like a per capita, such a worse homeless problem than others. And, you know, I mean, the, you'll hear things like, well, I mean, um, some people think that some cities make it easy to be homeless or, you know, kind of coddle homeless. And and and, and, and if the weather, you know, San Francisco has good year-round weather. It's quite more easy to be homeless there, right? You don't, yeah. you're, you're not going to freeze to death in San Francisco. So <laughs> you're literally not, your homeless people aren't getting killed off. Again, I'm, I'm saying in kind of a, jovial manner but it's it's not funny you know right. I, I don't mean to be funny about life and death stuff but um so yeah i mean the weather's good year round there and um so to, to you know they prov- there's a lot of services for the homeless and you get you know people whether it's public money private money that are all going to you know support these kind of things it's you know so it does that i don't know i mean does that is that helping people? I mean, because I think that one of the big things, especially the mental illness and the drug addictions, like you've got to help these people with these problems or there's no hope. Right. There's no hope if you can't help them solve those problems. That The things that 
caused their homelessness. You know, we have, we have like record un, record low unemployment. I mean, it's not like there's not jobs to be had. But once these, once you once you're out of the system, you know, you, you're you're essentially blacklisted. I mean, you got a two year hole on your resume and you're homeless. You're not getting a job anywhere, right? That's another problem. Well, I also think it's it's not a problem that's easily and solved I, by a single city. I mean, it's almost like you need a network of cities who, because yeah. uh, I, I mean, think about it. San Francisco, no one can afford to live in San Francisco except for these really rich tech peoples. And even even then, they like well, who, drive in who's, out. Who's causing that problem, John? I mean, the whole, the whole the whole tunnel thing from Elon is 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 because he didn't like the commute. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he doesn't even live in the city. Well, the more that these tech companies with their you know high flying salaries dominate and continue to build, build out in these in these cities the more you, it, it's going to be more expensive to live and, so, does, uh, and, that's and is, that, is that pushing people out of of housing on the low end I, it is yeah i mean some of the is. some of the data i think indicate that so i guess my point is that it, a single city alone cannot solve the problem because even if they were able to address someone's mental illness or drug addiction how do they get them on their feet can San Francisco offer them a good-paying job somewhere? Maybe. Are they going to be able to live in that city to to work that job without having to travel two hours in and out? Probably not. Yeah, you know, it's it's it, there, there's a lot of factors there, and maybe that's the point of this money is to understand all those different factors and understand where they can try to try to address some of those issues. But um, it's it just seems like it's a really hard problem to solve for a single city to to try to address. Well, and San Francisco also passed that. Um, Proposition that Benioff was supporting, right? The the to tax the to tax companies, tax companies, right? right? Yeah. A, a homeless tax, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that so that passed, and so they're going to have that money. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's. I feel like, especially with San Francisco, and, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know the numbers, but you certainly see all the time. It's like it seems like there's no shortage of money money being thrown right. at this. Um, yeah, it doesn't move the needle. I don't know. It, it's it's tough. I. I mean, I don't know any sure. city that's throwing this much money at it. I mean, they have a poop patrol. They have, <laughs> they have, they have, they have places that do distribute needles. Um, they, they have tent cities. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they're providing porta potties. Oh, they used to have porta potties. They used to have porta potties. So Twitter complained. <laughs> yeah. It's not like the homeless are going out and buying these tents. These are tents provided by the city. Right, right. I mean, so I mean, yeah. they're, they're the city is providing things. They're spending money on this problem. They're trying to address this problem. But but is it is it the Solution or is it the what is it called the the symptom or the cause right you know what do you what do you I feel like that's where most of the money is going it's going to the symptoms or trying to address you know issues that affect other people like the people that come in for Dreamforce yeah trying to hide that problem from them they basically block it off and sanitize that that whole radius around Dreamforce yeah and I don't I don't study this thing so I don't I don't pretend to be any kind of expert but sometimes it's like. Sometimes you can just apply some common sense to some of these problems, and it's like, okay. Yeah, well. I think the only reason I pay attention to it more than I would any other city is that I have to go there for these me too. conferences. And it, it just it makes me so sad because there is so much of San Francisco that I absolutely love. It's just it's a, such a unique city with a, an amazing, amazing, diverse culture and really interesting stories going back many years. Mm-hmm. Um, so much art, so much culture came out of. Comes came out of San Francisco. Now it's pretty much tech stuff that comes out of San Francisco. Um, but you know, you still when you walk there, at least the the, the better parts, and it's just um, I don't know. It, it I feel like it, it it makes me think of things, you know, of of food experiences or authors or just you know, it's, I don't know. It's just got it's got such an interesting past, and you know, when you walk around Market Street or so much, it's like oh my god, 
That's just sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, last time we were there, I got like almost attacked by some crazy lady. I remember that. I'm like, <laughs> and I was just worried. I'm like, am I going to have to run? Am I literally going to have to run from this lady? Because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to confront her or try to like solve some. I'm not going to solve anything here. <laughs> so do I run or do I do I ignore? What do I do? <laughs> I'll run. I'm I'm not ashamed of running from, <laughs> from someone. <laughs> I'm a, I like to avoid confrontation, John. Yeah. <laughs> Especially at a traffic light when I'm on the sidewalk. <laughs> okay, so I'm being I'm being questioned uh, real time here. Um, so Anthony, uh, uh, I shouldn't say people's names. Anthony says, regarding stretch orgs, you already preach that you should be committing changes often as you're building a feature. If you're not pulling work down from the org, how could you be committing your work in progress and get it regularly? So yeah, you say you 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 need to be. You have to be. But here's what often happens though. Like, so you're doing some work locally. You're doing some some of your coding, right? And you've you've you're got, writing my code, and you've done some point and click stuff to create some metadata, some fields, and whatever. But sometimes you go, you know, you do your, you know, your you you build up your commit, and you you commit, and you do your nice little message, and then you push it up to share with your coworkers or with your build bot or whatever it is. And then when the build bot takes it and tries to deploy it. Or when your coworker pulls it down and tries to deploy it, it's like, oh, well, dude, you're, reference, you're referencing a, a class that, or a, a field that doesn't exist in this class. It's like, ah, crap, I committed, but I forgot to pull down that damn field I changed. You know, and, and it's it's getting in the habit of making, you know, before every commit, making sure that you are always doing that, you know, like a, a, a whatever it's called, the status check or whatever, or just doing a pull. I should always do a status first because there's there's a lot of stuff that it would pull down that you don't want. I've, I've gotten to the, I've gotten very good at my force ignore file. Really? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I'd be interested to see that. I mean, could could you eventually just have a bot that's its sole responsibility is to download metadata and commit that? Oh, no. Yeah, I don't think you want that. But I mean, I, I do like the idea of like on, of course, this gets expensive. Uh, Why wouldn't you want that, though? Just lack of control? Because Yeah, because like, like I said, a lot of times you actually want to, you can do that status command first to see what it would pull down mm-hmm. because some of it you don't, you actually don't want. And I'm trying to think of an example. Someone can probably think of one. But like, there's a lot of stuff you do want to put in your force ignore that that's going to show up if you if you do a poll that you don't want. Um, but but the most important thing, and it's, it's not quite as quick of a feedback though, is when you push something, when you push up a command, bit, bit. excuse me, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, when you push up a commit, you know that you've got. It's great if you have like a C. You know, this is what CI is for, right? Um, something that automatically checks checks out that latest com- commit and pushes it to a scratch org and tries to run tests. Yeah, that's what you're gonna because you want to find out soon, right? You know, if you find out like within 24 hours, you're you're fine. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. You know, sure you broke you broke the build. But nowadays, that's not a big deal because it can be fixed so quickly. Yeah, I mean, if you had CI in a nightly build, I mean, that would tell you. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, John. Well. So is the start of every one of your sprints and it has a little enabler sprint that says create the scratch org? I is guess that, so. Is it called an enabler sprint or enabler story? Or? There's a, a sprint zero. So yeah. You'll hear that or whatever, you know. I don't know. Um, I feel like sprint zeros can get abused too sometimes. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, it's one of those things now, I feel like, you know, when th- there is some, like, as far as like the infrastructure stuff, you can kind of copy and paste from one project to another mm-hmm. without too much risk of one project infecting the, the next one. 
And a lot of it's not hard to set up. Again, once you have like the config files, whatever you need, it's like, it's no big deal to spin up another environment yeah, or another project. That's all I got, John. And I, uh, I'm hungry. I'm tired. Yeah, same here. Okay. And to that. Well, uh, let's remind people uh, <laughs> to visit the, uh, the Good Day Sir Slack. If you're not in there already, get, go to, to get in, you have to actually get an account and you go to gooddaysirpodcast.com and you click on community and just put in your email address. John will add you. Email address is info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. We welcome all feedback, questions, complaints, and just make sure you share it with your friends. That's Apparently, that's how this works. Even though this is such a tech-enabled society we have, it's word of mouth. So if you know someone who uh, you think might enjoy the show, just let them know. And to that, John says, Good day, sir. You get nothing! You lose! Good day, sir! <laughs>